One of the characteristics of our day is rebellion and defiance. I suppose if someone came from another planet and just kind of zeroed in and just kind of watched what's going on, as he watched the uh, crime in the streets or uh, divorce proceedings, he might report to the force. You know, down there on that goofy place in that zoo, people are defiant in rebellion and they're winning. Another characteristic of our time perhaps might be a contempt of authority. Garden Talbot has a good book entitled The Breakdown of Authority. And in this book he notices that the chance of your becoming a victim of crime has doubled in the last 10 years. And the chances of your becoming a victim of a violent crime has increased five times in the last 10 years. So that today, one out of every 20 people in this room tonight will be a victim of a crime. And one out of every 100 of you will be a victim of a violent crime. There's a kind of a feeling of depravity abroad in our land. I watched as they mopped up after the hurricane came through my beloved state of Texas, just wiping out parts of of uh, Galveston and Houston. What a devastating thing and how sad it was. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a, there's a commentary of sadness to that uh, news report that, that exceeds the, the, the devastation of that hurricane. It was the fact that after the hurricane, people came by the hundreds, not in sympathy to help, but to loot. And they had to call out the National Guard to prevent it. Can you imagine that? Living in a, in a free land where people have to go around with guns to keep others from taking advantage of someone's problems. Some of you tonight know what I'm talking about when I talk about defiance. Because some of you are struggling, wrestling with defiance yourself and authority and how you're dealing with that authority. Now, with your Bible in hand, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, and we're going to see a man, how God dealt with defiance. And when you get there to, to 1 Kings chapter 11, you, you put your little cute little finger right there in the place and hold it there. And you turn, take a left from 1 Kings and pick up chapter 21 of Deuteronomy. So we're going to have Deuteronomy chapter 21. And we're going to have 1 Kings chapter 11. And we're just kind of holding the place of 1 Kings just for a second. And we're going to look at chapter 21 in Deuteronomy at how God dealt with defiance in the days of the law. Okay, how he dealt with defiant people in the days of the law. Now we'll begin in reading at verse 18. Now, if any of you uh, folks here, you young people, if your daddy has taken your car away from you, or, or has, has not allowed you to date Mr. Wonderful, and you just think that's this terrible thing, He's done. I want you to take a check on verse 18. This will be a little comfort 
says, If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of of his city at the gateway of his hometown. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton. (laughs) I like this kid of mine, but he's a glutton and a drunkard, he says. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. Now I'd call that, put that over in the category of your drastic measures, you know. Uh, somewhere in that category. <laughs> Some little comfort um, as we look at how God dealt with defiance in the days of the law. Now we're back to chapter 11 of 1 Kings. When Solomon became defiant, um, it, he wasn't um, in your uh, period of uh, junior high. He was a 45 to 55-year-old man, and he became defiant and rebellious to God. Now, there's some seeds of defiance that were beginning to be sown in the life of this man, and we want to just kind of review them, and they're found in the first verses of chapter 11, the first eight verses. Let me just give you them to jot down right quickly. The first seed of defiance was that he compromised. Now, it wasn't that big a deal at first. It's just the fact that he compromised. And when he compromised, he lost his distinctiveness. Now, there's sometimes when, you know, this is no big deal. Just compromise here just a little bit. But the moment you do that, You lose your distinctiveness. And you're no longer unique as far as the uniqueness of God's people is concerned. You're just like one of the rest. That's why the herd instinct is so important. I mean, we'll we'll compromise in so many places so we can be accepted. And lose, and he lost his distinctiveness. Now that led to one thing. It led to cynicism. It always does. He became cynical. He became cynical of the things of God. I mean, you know, that stuff, that's for old women and kids. Secondly, the second seed of defiance was he became extravagant. He became wasteful. And his extravagance led to boredom. Always does. For what can you give a man who has everything? And what can a guy do who's done everything? I mean, if you have everything and you've, you've withheld yourself from nothing, then, then what is there left except just a pile on on top of things what you already have? And so he began to collect chariots. I read where Amon G. Carter, who died of the Carter Empire in Fort Worth, the uh, directors of the, uh, uh, the Star Telegram, rich people. He, they're going to, in settling his estate, they sold his coin collection, his coin collection, for $6 million. 
The third seat of defiance was unaccountability. You'll never read where Solomon is, was ever uh, guilty of listening to anybody's advice. He was closed-minded. He knew everything. I mean, he had everything, he did everything, he knew everything. And when you have an unaccountability, a spirit of unaccountability, it leads to this. It leads to unchecked independence. I owe no man anything. I live my own life. You turn your Wheaties over in the middle of the table and you say, yes, I can do that anytime I please. Fourth, the fourth seed of defiance was idolatry. And idolatry led to lust and open defiance. I mean, he flaunted his rebellion before God. When a man does that, I mean, he's, when he struts his rebellion before God, he's headed for a big problem. And that's where we are now, chapter 11, verse 9. Now, in your outline, you're going to see that, uh, that God's reaction, God and Solomon, and uh, the first is divine anger. Look at verse 13. I mean, verse 9. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord. I mean, that word in our vernacular is he was just turned off to God. Now it may surprise you that when you turn off to God, you might have the picture of him, you know, just feeling so bad about that. I mean, and, and he does. I mean, your picture of God, when you just kind of turn him off, I mean, God turns me off. You might have a, an idea that God's just somewhere, you know, just weeping his eyes out, and he probably is. Well, let me tell you something. There's another side to God's love, and that's his divine anger. I mean, he was angry. And that's a beautiful balance here, because what we've been studying and how we've been approaching this is God's mercy and God's blessing upon Solomon and his enduring patience and his kindness. Let me tell you, that's not the whole story. When you turn off to God, you turn on his anger. Um, Sometimes you take a commentary and you just look down through there at the number of times that anger is associated with God and you'll be surprised to find a lot of them. And, and a lot of times, one word is always associated with anger, and it's the word kindled. It's a Hebrew word meaning to heat to a point of vexation. I mean to a boiling point. And God said to Solomon, that's it. Now somehow I think we need to emphasize the anger, the, the, the righteous anger of God uh, as much as we do the love of God. Maybe not to the point of uh, Jonathan Edwards. You know one day this guy mounted a pulpit in, in, in Massachusetts. He was, all, he was so nearsighted and he read from a manuscript word for word. And he held this manuscript right up before his eyes and read verbatim every word on that manuscript. And the sermon that he preached that became the spark of the, of the Great Awakening was that famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And let me tell you what he talked about. Let me, let me just read an excerpt from that sermon. I wasn't there. But the sermon has, has been preserved. It says, The God that holds you over the pit, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked 
His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in His sight. You're 10,000 times more abominable in His eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent serpent is in ours. I don't want to go ahead and read the rest of that because when I look up, you may be gone. I mean, we don't like to hear that kind of stuff. And I'm sure, I'm not saying we need to return to that kind of preachment. Well, we need to also emphasize that when a man lives in defiance before God, he, he comes under the divine anger of God. It's just a fact. And so God says in verse 11, He says, because of what you've done, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you. And I want you to study sometime if you ever get to take Hebrew what that word tear says. It means to rend or to wrench. And so God is saying, because you live in defiance, you're going to experience a rending of all that's good in your life. And there's going to be this tearing process that's going on inside of you and around you. I'm going to wrench everything good from your hands. Mercy. Second, God sicked the dogs on him. I mean, he turned the human adversaries against Solomon. Look at verses in particular, verses 14 and 23 of chapter 11, kind of underlined them. Then the Lord raised up an adversary to Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal line of Edom. If you read that, uh, this was an enemy that was provoked in David's day, Solomon's father. Solomon probably didn't know the guy. Well, he was just a young guy when, when David invaded Edom, and as a little boy, he was one of the few males that lived through that, that, uh, that invasion. And he fled down to Egypt, and he, he found favor down there, grew up in Egypt, and, and, and married Pharaoh's uh, sister-in-law, and had children that played around in the court. And so, um, you know, in the plan of God, in the providential permission of God... Here is this man Solomon getting ready to defy God and God is raising up an adversary to turn against him. Now look at verse uh, 23. And God raised up another adversary to him, Reason, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord, king of Zobah, had a... How do you pronounce that, Ed? That's it. And and there's this other man, this other adversary, and God raising him up. Look, Look, folks, when a man walks in defiance against God, God sends the adversary against him. Sometimes it's in the form of a memory. I tell you what, God won't let you rest. Third, he began to... to, to uh, institute in, in uh, Solomon's life internal rebellion. Look at verses 26 through 39. Jeroboam turned against him. Now Jeroboam was a, was a, was a trustee. He was a man who worked in, in Solomon's court. He was a man on Solomon's side. And there was this internal rebellion beginning to happen. You have any problems where you work? 
You having any problems where you go to school in the, in the dorms? Having any problems at home? Having any problems with your friends? Seem like everything's going against you? And there's this internal rebellion. I mean, the people you thought loved you the best, you're having the biggest problem with. What's God, what's God trying to tell us in all this? He may be trying to tell us, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with your defiance. I'm going to bring you to the end of yourself. And then there's personal frustration. Look at verse 40. There was this personal frustration. Solomon therefore sought therefore to put Jeroboam to death. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt. And he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. I mean, you think a king could kill anybody he wanted to. He could do anything he wanted to. Couldn't find the guy. Couldn't execute his plan. Couldn't follow through on his desire. He was personally frustrated. You going through a time of personal frustration? Sometimes when these things begin to happen to us, it causes us to be more defiant. And it just becomes a vicious cycle. And the more defiant, the more God deals with the defiance. And the more He deals with the defiance, the more defiant we become. How about the word submission? Hey, God, okay. I get the message. Now, what are the applications? I want you to turn on the back of the page. And we're going to look at the steps there to, um, to this. And I say this right quickly. Are you listening? Defiance begins with carnal attitudes long before carnal actions. Defiance begins with a carnal attitude long before carnal actions. Now, what are these carnal attitudes that begin to develop in, Sol in Solomon's life? The downward steps of defiance. First, I want my way. So you put that in a little... Um, stairwell, stair step. I want my way in the parentheses there. Underneath it, you put selfishness. I want my way, put selfishness. That's what that means. I want my way. Second, I won't quit until I get it. That is my way. I won't quit until I get it. I got to have my way, and I'm not going to give up until I get it. Underneath, in the dotted line, you put stubbornness. Number three, I don't care who it hurts. I don't care who it hurts. If it's my wife, I don't care. If it's my friend, I don't care who it hurts. Underneath, in the dotted line, put indifference. Indifference. Number four, I refuse to listen to counsel. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to listen to you anyway. Just leave me alone. Underneath on the dotted line, put resistance. Resistance. And number five, I'm not concerned about the consequences. I don't care what happens. I'm not concerned about the consequences. And on the dotted line, put the big word, contempt. 
contempt. And all of that says this, defiance begins with a carnal attitude. Number two, defiance always leads to personal misery. You can't win. Now, we're going to turn to the book of Proverbs. That's over by Psalms. And I want you to turn to Proverbs 13, and we're going to be in Proverbs right now in the next two minutes, and I promise you we'll be through, maybe three. Proverbs 13, 15. Defiance leads to personal misery. You hurt, you hurt when you rebel against God. Now, Proverbs 13, 15 reads, Good understanding produces favor. But the way of the treacherous is hard. The word treacherous in the Hebrew is this word. It means defiant. So that the person who deals defiantly, the way of that person is hard. We need to take a, do a little etymology on the word hard. It means perpetual, con, it means constant, it means rugged. The way of the man who is defiant toward God is rugged. Now, I know that being a Christian is not easy. And I've, I've said that many times. Man, it's hard to be a Christian. I believe that. It's harder not to be. The way of the defiant is hard. The way of the defiant is rugged, miserable. You pay when you, def you defy God, God's will. Number three, this is it. Defiance always results in inescapable bondage. Look at verses 21 through 23. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. I want to be free. Look, his own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cards of his sin. Jesus must have known Proverbs 5, 22, when he said, He who commits sin is a servant of sin. He is held by the cards of his own sin and he will die for the lack of instruction and in the greatness of his folly he will go astray. Defiance results in inescapable bondage. Now the answer to a defiant heart is a heart of obedience and submission and surrender. It's like taking that to Wheaty Bowl and saying, yeah, I sure would like to dump this right on top of you. But you don't want me to, so I won't. It's like saying to God, God, I'd like to take over my own life. I, I wish you'd leave me alone. I'd like to live it the best I can. That's not your plan. So I want to give you my life and let you take over 
Let's bow and pray. Father, some of us tonight have really, really, for all of our life, dealt with this matter of yielding control room to you. And it's been a hard, hard road. I mean, it's been a struggle. Help us tonight to say, not my will, but thine. Help us to say, God, here you are. Take control. Because I pray in the name of Christ and for his sake.